Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the NFL Week 13 Ownership Show, presented by Prize Picks. Normally would be over my shoulder, but my TV hates me. I'm Eric Lindquist. You can follow me at Eric Lindquist over on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it. Really good stuff over there, putting uh, losing betting tickets the last couple days and, you know, just having an overall blast there. But you know what? We got some great stuff here at Odd Shopper. We got some great stuff here at Stochastic. And I got to say, I'm just ecstatic. Ecstatic to be here specifically today because... It's the return of the Eric Lindquist, Chris Spag shows that used to be, I mean, that was the beginning of my time here at Osmo slash Stochastic. And God, go follow him at Chris Spags. He's doing great stuff for Splash Play. He is uh, an awesome just dude. And I'm just happy and I'm emotional now. How you doing, Chris? excited to be here i know i saw it woke up to the tweet from eric posting a I guess a tough run in betting which happens you know that's what profitability looks like you have your ebbs and flows so i'm saying that's eric as much as you guys out there but i was excited to see that tweet excited to be doing the show with eric today and um i know you said you wanted to see one of your nearest and dearest friends on stream for a while so here <laughs> welcome back great to see you on here heard you've been having a tough time in the world of betting but don't you worry you keep getting back up there you're dunking in your thumbnails you got your lindy's locks and by the way here's here's my crotch oh my (laughs) (laughs) that's for greg more than anything that's for greg more than anything greg you're a great boss jordan klein is just cheesing well, we're back. Balls often enough on shows. <laughs> I think we should put some context out there in case people don't know my guy, Chris. Chris was here long, long, long before me. He helped and showed me the ropes here. And uh, well, he decided to also, just like everybody else here at Stochastic, make fun of me on the daily. And as such, he came up with Puppet Lindquist. He's not just some weirdo over there who's just pulling down, you know, puppet dicks and stuff, but. Well, maybe it could be both, you know, a little bit of both. But there was once a time for the people who are new to Stochastic, and Stochastic has grown so much over the years. But there was a period where we had to do a show daily, which was just basically various hosts rotating in and roasting Eric and making it like difficult. Which I missed the tip off daily. Great show, I think that we yeah. we really made played at the studio space on that one, is what I would say. We did. We we took leaps. We took uh we took shots out in the dark. And again. Uh, that's one of the beautiful things about my friend Chris over there. Again, if you haven't seen Splash Play, the guy is doing great best ball content pretty much every day. It seems like you're firing something up over there, over on Splash Play. Go give that a follow over on the YouTubes. Check him out over on the Twitters. He's just doing awesome work all around. And again, just a just a charming fellow, as you will learn over the next hour or so. So we got Jordan Klein here producing as well. Excited to talk a little week 13 football. Week 12, how did that go for you? Week 12 was an interesting one for me because I had some lineups that I really thought I nailed things on where I had was really going aggressively after Indianapolis, Tampa Bay. So I had some Pittman, Taylor, Mike Evans lineups that I was like, this is it, man. This is it. 
And then you get to the afternoon. It's like, you don't have Josh Allen. You don't have Kyron Williams and that exact same duo. You're just not going to get there. So it was one of those things where it showed down to, you know, Thanksgiving, like I've been really hitting on like the macro takes, which makes me feel good as a content creator. Mm -hmm. But then when your play doesn't match up all the parts of a lineup together, I feel like that's kind of the pain point, but that's where the ownership, that's where the Sims come in. And at certain points they do line up and that's what we're hoping to hit lucky week 13. Yeah, my three highest owned players last week, Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua, and Cooper Cup. I did not enjoy back at two and three. Couldn't get there the same way. And you obviously needed Higby, Stafford. That wasn't a terrible combination to run into. Josh Allen single, though. And that leads us into the Millie here. On the ownership show, we're going to go running back, wide receiver, tight end. We're going to head out with top stacks, talk about everything that we're looking forward to here for Sunday. But first, we recap week 12, looking at the Millie Maker lineup. And I know there's been a lot of conversations on the Twitters. And, you know, Chris, you've been doing DFS with me here forever as well. We've had conversations about what makes a good lineup, what doesn't make a good lineup. This Millie Maker lineup, as you look at it, Jordan Klein pulling that up on the screen. Yes, no, maybe so. Maybe. Cool. Uh, we'll be able to fire it up. What do you think about an unstacked Josh Allen? Because I think this is back-to-back -back weeks now where we had unstacked Brock Purdy, followed by unstacked Mr. Just completely naked Josh Allen. Not naked like Puppet Lindquist, but kind of like that. Uh what do you think about a lineup like this that you see when you have Josh Allen, you talked about Kyron Williams, Jerome Ford, Nico Collins, Calvin Ridley, Rashi Rice, who went nuts, Pat Fryermuth, new situation, Ramondre Stevenson, Panthers. What does that lineup scream to you? I think it's interesting. I, you know, like I think people are going to chase this a little bit too much. And, you know, um, Eric mentioned uh, some of the stuff I do in best ball. There's a lot of pushback in best ball this year from people saying, maybe you don't need to stack and correlate. Maybe you could just pick the best players and, or the best projected players and try to make it work. I fundamentally don't agree with that. Like, I do think that for the most part, you're trying to thread a needle that's already impossible to thread. And the way you do that and have some success is like correlating, double stacking, you know, having bring backs, maybe a little bit less. So I think that's uh, enough back testing has shown that's maybe not as valuable as we treat treated it as but i see the seam and it's like i get it i get how it wins but i feel like if people start playing more lineups like this you're just going to hemorrhage money because you're just playing off of median outcomes and that's it's never going to work out i think over the course of like playing 17 weeks 18 weeks of a year did you see uh what the top team is in bbm4 right now yeah i mean it's a zero rb team i know that yeah but it's not not very stacked i don't think yeah so josh allen stefan Diggs is a skinny followed by just everything that you could possibly want to have be the stone cold nuts. I guess James Cook is in that line uh, in that build as well, but zero RB you talked about it where, yeah, it's a thin needle, the thread and you know, best ball. It's one thing, but Brock Purdy is the other quarterback in that lineup. You know how many pieces there are in BBM for, for that lineup zero. It is Brock Purdy by himself, no other piece. And so I find it ironic that Josh Allen, Brock Purdy, the last two Millie maker winners are also the two quarterbacks up there. Uh, unstacked there in best ball as well. But I've gone back and forth here. I was a little bit harsh, I think, uh, yesterday, talking with Andy and friends on the Andy Francis show and uh, thought that it was a pretty pretty terrible deal to, to play Josh Allen unstacked purely because Stephon Diggs, we know what that upside can be with him. But then also you had cheap receivers. You know, you had a, a tight end option there in Kincaid that was in the mid fives and doable. You had 5,300 uh, Gabe Davis, who would have been the best of everybody. You had a popular Khalil Shakira, Shakira. But like, I don't know about Brock Purdy because like there's expensive pieces to anybody who could have those singular touchdowns like you saw against Jacksonville, where everybody got a piece except for Christian McCaffrey. So it's just one of those things that there's this ever changing thing. And it's like, it just needs to work out one week for you. But 
I'm still of the belief that I want to be stacking week in, week out, at least one guy with my with my quarterback, unless, you know, it's just such a clear cut underpricing of a rushing quarterback or something like I don't know a, a situation where you run into Malik Mills this season, God forbid, but or Malik Willis, excuse me. How are you feeling, though, about stacking going forward? Because, again, these feel like two big outliers to me. Yeah, I think I feel the same way about that. I mean, you could go a couple of weeks ago and it's Utica who's one of the best DFS players yep. in the world. You know, he, Osimo, um, some of the greats out there, whoever else whistles go woo. I don't know who else I'm supposed to name here before somebody gets offended because you say any great <laughs> DFS player, you have to list them all out or they all come for you. Um, but I think that's the thing that stands out to me is like the great players are triple stacking. They're double stacking there. Um, you know, Utica's lineup had one where he was fading Nico Collins, but he had a triple stack of the other Texans with the assumption then that the chalk is going to fail for Nico Collins. Those other three guys are what pulls it away. That's how you should be playing dfs you know that said i'm not going to like shit on a millie maker winner but i think short gamers win to me you know obviously it was a higher dollar millie maker that was more impressive because it was a stack team it was a correlated team it had many stacks and like everything going for it and i think that's how you're going to win more of the course of time um but i i kind of like i hope the field plays lineups like this because they're not going to make it it's not going to work out that well and then the one out of a hundred thousand times it happens we've seen that now the past two weeks and maybe i'm wrong like maybe it's just that people don't play those lineups enough but i personally feel like the lineups could have been better if they had that one stack in there even if it's a skinny but you know if it's a double there's there's still been stacks available that they could have had yeah we've seen that a little bit small field baseball and people pay attention to mlb dfs ever but there was a time where every single lineup was stacked and then there were guys who came in and would just play top projected bats and spots and were making some money and uh there were times that i remember talking with osmo back in the day our guy alex baker uh father himself uh crushing the streets in the in fatherhood and then i don't know how putting, he's like, doing that by the way man like, he's he's early in the baby cycle and he's still out putting out 100k wins but like he's uh, he's the most <laughs> he is smashing man. Can you get out of the Rainmaker streets? Can you just let me have UFC Rainmakers this weekend, please? They they increased it 7.5K for the Elite. Uh, Alex, take a weekend off. That would be awesome for me. Uh, but I'm looking, maybe I go to the Apex on Saturday because I'll be in Vegas. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, we'll pull up the spy here too as we're moving to it. But what I'm getting at, MLB DFS, there were, if everybody's stacking, it definitely does behoove you not to stack, but we're not seeing that enough here in the data to really justify going completely nuts for it. So enjoy seeing those lineups. Congratulations. I'm not going to shit on a Millie Maker winner because you get to keep that money. I don't have that money. So that's really enjoyable for you. But as we're looking at the spy, similar deal, Josh Allen, Kyron Williams, you're going to need both of them. Derek Henry on the back of two touchdowns, not a lot else with it. Devonta Smith, really nice outing there in correlation with the Gabe Davis. I like this lineup a lot more. Gabe Davis, skinny. Devonta Smith, Khalil Shakir. So it's actually a double there. Uh, Chiefs defense, super, super chalky, but did just enough to just exist. Uh, spy winner really like that lineup. Yeah. I think that's the thing we've seen again. Not, you know, Osmo has won a spy before with believe a QB mm -hmm. plus two or three with uh two bring backs, so like a full game stack and for the smaller field, higher stakes stuff. You do want to correlate. And again, that speaks to where, you know, higher stakes. Like I know people, uh, I, I don't play high stakes. Like I, I'd like to max out the big turnings if I can, or if not, you know, put in enough entries to a million maker and then max out the 20 maxes and the mini max. Like that's how I like to play. That said, like, you know, for the high stakes stuff, it is a lot of the sharpest players in the world coming together. And what are they doing? They're stacking and correlating because that's how you kind of win those fields the most. And I would say that's the main thing to keep in mind. Obviously, for the Millie Maker, it is a dice roll. It is the equivalent of roulette. So that's sort of how that goes. But Love roulette. like, but you still want to go in with the right approach, I think. And even though you can win with those kind of entries that are unstacked and all of that, like this one, the spy is how the best players win. And I think you want to play like the best players as long as you, you aren't doing the work. Like a lot of people who are watching the stream are. 
yeah, I'm taking, this is going to sound strange, sound strange the first time I said it, but I'm taking my mother-in-law to Vegas tomorrow, which I'm very, very excited for. for Pac- yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Pac-12 championship, but also there is no chance that I'm not taking her over to our roulette table and teaching her the great joys of 4, 19, 23, and 33. It's going to be a glorious time. Can't wait. Four numbers, play them straight across. We'll add her birthday to the fray. Uh, that'll be fun. I think she's on the second. Yeah, so that's on Saturday. Going to be good times, but Jordan Klein, thank you pulling those up. Great stuff, but hey, we're done with that. If you guys end up winning a Millie Maker, guess what? You're also going to be able to jump into the Osmo slash Stochastic. See, I was bringing up Osmo in our history there. Stochastic, HOF, baby. Yeah, Hall of Fame action. Download the avatar at stochastic.com slash avatar. Place in the top three in any contest over 5,000 entrants, and then tweet that win. Get yourself a free month of a Stochastic package. Yes, any of the data packages may suggest the Sims Max. Get everything that we have behind the curtain. Check it all out. Again, the Sims smashing in the NBA streets, smashing in the NFL streets all season long, and MLB, oh, it's going to be a long time till those streets show up again. But excited to bring this to you guys. If you finish in the top three, awesome. More than just the money, which is fantastic. But that free month of a Sims package. Cool, great, grand, no yelling on the bus. My guy, Chris Baggs, ready to talk a little football. Oh, I'm dying for it. I'm dying for it too. Let's do it. Running back position, we go. And the conversation just begins, starts, ends. I mean, maybe he's the only guy anybody wants to talk about here on a Thursday leading into Sunday, but Zach freaking Moss. 4,600, we got news that Jonathan Taylor's having surgery on a thumb that I didn't even see him hurt or hear about him hurting. But all of a sudden, Zach Moss has become a real thing. Now, there have been multiple times this season that running backs, cheap running backs specifically, have been chalk going up against the Tennessee defense. And, well, until Jerome Ford in a weird spot, it didn't really come to fruition for any of them. He's got a 67 and a half rushing prop across the industry right now. That's something that I use as kind of a baseline. And you assume that he has, you know, 80, 90% of the touches here, 4,600. It's an outlier price tag. I don't know how you get away from it in cash, but in tournaments, how do you plan to utilize Zach Moss at 4,600 against this normally run funnel Tennessee defense? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see what the field's ownership is because I do think there's a lot of excitement to plug in Zach Moss. He's finally, you know, a cheap running back with a starter's role. But we do remember earlier in the year, and I, this is something I was talking about with Ben Rossa earlier in the week filling in for Laffey, where there was a week where Jamal Williams was the chalk against Tennessee. Everybody was there, and that went extremely poorly. So I'm do wondering if that maybe that keeps that Zach Moss in, in play a little bit more. Um, but at 38% ownership, I get it. I think on the year, he's been better than Jonathan Taylor. He has a higher avoided tackle rate, uh, 17% compared to 14%. Um, he's also a little bit better in EPA per pass, 9.19 compared to 0.17. A little better in EPA per rush, negative 0.02 compared to negative 0.05. So like you are getting Jonathan Taylor, but maybe a, a hair better um, with a more consolidated workload and getting him you know, for cheap, I think is hard to ignore. Um, that's the tournament theory of it. Like you're not going to be able to pivot at the price point. Let's say you pay up for McCaffrey you pay up for a 6k guy a 7k guy you're definitely getting off the beaten path of how the entire field is building so i think that does have some game theory merits but in terms of just the price tag and the role like moss is already playing high leverage situations for the colts he was playing third and longs he was playing some short down and distance plays for the colts in that last game which again i watched heavily because was deeply invested in it um so zach moss has been involved they like him they trust him um he's not Dion jackson he is a good player uh, but I think if the ownership is like 50-60, it's probably getting closer to the wrong play. 
Uh, but with the price tag, the Sims might still push you there. And I guess I what would you take with the Sims give me? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about ownership. When we look at the ownership numbers, and I think maybe since we've been doing the ownership show, Luffy and I used to be going game by game, two hours, just an absolute war here on Thursdays, but a little bit easier here on the schedule as we've delved into a lot of betting content. But looking at the running back position and looking at this ownership, you got to remember it's in the Millie maker. And as you move up in stakes or as you shorten the field, as you go to like 4,000, 5,000 entries, I can't imagine that he's going to be lower than 37.8% at 4,600. And I'm going to trust the Sims to be able to really help me for the large field type tournaments. And maybe it is something where I just completely flip the build, go to the mid range because the five, six K range has been awfully fruitful all season long. And there's going to be outlier spots throughout the entire, throughout the entire board, whether it's McCaffrey in the top of the end or somebody there, you know, uh, the, I doubt below Zach Moss, but like Zach Moss for sure, 4,600, an important piece to to pay attention to the ownership. I don't think it's just as easy though as saying, oh, if he's going to be 50%, I'm going to fade him. If he's going to be 25%, I'm going to jam him. There are lots of ways to build good lineups with Zach Moss in them or out of them, I think is probably the best way of looking at it. So uh, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be trusting the Sims quite a bit here, but outside of Zach Moss, there are some other guys pulling some ownership and Christian McCaffrey, Rashad White, who uh, generally has that passing down role, Javante Williams, 5,700, a Denver team that comes in as a road dog against Houston, playing some really good football, especially on the defensive side of things. Javante Williams, I'd like to see those snaps come up a little bit. Rashad White freaked everybody out getting added to the injury report last Saturday. And then McCaffrey, well, fuck, he's good. How are we feeling about these chalky batch of running backs? So normally in a week where you do have the chalk running back being, you know, uh, obviously Zach Moss is 4,600, but being 5K, being low 6K, I like to go to McCaffrey because you're just getting off the beaten path then and forcing in a player that you know is going to get at least 18, probably closer to 25 a game. And, you know, you have the shot too of him getting over 40, which has only happened, I believe, once this year, but he's in his bag, obviously, if it were to happen. Uh, but because McCaffrey is going to be so chalky as well, I don't think that's a play. I imagine you'll see a lot of Zach Moss plus McCaffrey lineups, which, um, you know, tells you a pretty big tale then. That probably means those lineups are not paying for Tyreek or Keenan Allen at wide receiver. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm willing to take whatever the Sims give me for the most part. One thing that stuck out to me a couple of weeks ago was when um, the Raheem Mostert slate, where I think they were going against Carolina. Everybody played Raheem Mostert. He smashed as he kind of should have with no other backs taking touches away. And then the lineups that had the best performances were ones that had, you know, they just crammed in Mostert anyway, just said, I'm going to have 90%, you know, 95%, 100% Raheem Mostert. I kind of wonder if that's the case this week where you just say, I'll take all the Zach Moss and I'll hope I get unique around that. Um, because the rest of the guys like Javante Williams, I think Denver's defense sucks. I know people feel differently about that, but <laughs> they just keep getting lucky every week. It's like passes off somebody's hand. Like uh, the QB is flustered and throws a pick that he would normally never throw. And it just keeps happening every week or they play Cleveland. And it's like, we're getting PJ Walker filling in uh, for DTR after DTR just strafes them on a drive. Um, I think that Houston destroys them, which is not going to be good for Javante Williams. Mm. Uh, but I think for all these other running backs, like they're all just kind of mid and Zach Moss is cheap. So I feel like it's, he's clearly a cut above in every possible way uh, besides, you know, the, the fundamental matchup, I guess, against Tennessee. Man, I, I didn't really think about it from that perspective. Josh Dobbs, obviously in the rear view mirror after whatever that debacle we just saw ripped to my Minnesota Vikings against the bears on Monday night. But um, after that debacle, I think in hindsight, maybe the Josh Dobbs outing doesn't look as good for the Denver defense. I get that. But the one thing I keep coming back to with this spot, the Broncos have had the seventh most difficult strength of schedule adjusted, according to PFF. 
Houston's at 27th. They've had a pretty good run of, of drawing some pretty dead teams, whether it was the saints where, you know, or not the, sorry, the saints, the, um, the Falcons, the, yeah, the saints week six, that was Carolina, Tampa, Cincy, where that was a fantastic win with a healthy Joe Burrow, no doubt about it. And then Arizona, you saw them against Jacksonville. Jacksonville's been, you know, eight and three, eight and three against the spread, pretty fair valued. Texans six and five, five and six against the spread, pretty fair value. I, I feel as though Denver can be competitive here. It's just more of like, does Javante Williams ever get a majority of the work in like a, like a 60, 65% type share? Because it feels like in the passing game, especially when you're a road dog here in this spot, you might see a healthier dosage of Samaje Pirine. Julio McLaughlin isn't really a thing the way that people thought he might be in the last couple of weeks, but um, it's just 5,700. It's more of like the price point that has me like thinking about it, but that's because there's guys above here that I think we might not even have to think about it. Jameer Gibbs, Bajan Robinson, that's going to be kind of a uh, like a little bit of an interesting point for me. 6,700, identical piece for both of them. It's not as easy as going in the player compare tool. It's just like, what do we think Jameer Gibbs in a neutral game script is going to look like from a workload perspective? They got down big time to Green Bay last week. You saw 67% of the snaps there, less than 30% for David Montgomery on the other side. I don't think we see that in a neutral game script, but maybe I'm wrong. You're seeing a lot more ownership come in for Jameer Gibbs than Bajan Robinson, and that has me interested in maybe, maybe, maybe taking that shot on Bajan coming off of uh, uh, the heat check that he got from Arthur Smith last week, gets the two tutties, completely smashes, I know nobody wants to play people against the Jets defense, but running the ball hasn't been too bad. 30th against the position. I feel all right about Bijan Robinson this week, and I haven't said that since probably week two. Yeah, Bijan's one of those guys I feel like I get because of the projection and obviously the ceiling outcomes, the range of outcomes for him on the Sims. Always going to look pretty good. And actually had one of my best lineups last week was a Bijan lineup. Uh, then, of course, mm -hmm. Kyron came over the top and made that completely useless. But I think Bijan's <laughs> a fine play. Like, I personally believe if you're, you know, even if you're playing Zach Moss, I think it's a pure kind of roll the dice week. Whoever's going to come up in the projections, get different combos. Because none of these guys are like, you know, Gibbs, not the greatest matchup. Like Eric mentioned, I do think game script wise, it should be a little bit more of a Montgomery spot just because I expect it to be a competitive game. New Orleans doesn't have a lot of horses on their side left. Like, we're probably not going to see Rashid Shahid, Michael Thomas is out. Um, there's a chance Olave doesn't go, though he's back in practice. A little bit odd how the concussion protocol has gone this year, so he could play. But if he doesn't, it's like that's a Montgomery spot, I think, by a pretty wide margin. Um, so I'm willing to take whoever comes here, and I would think that based off of how it goes and the low ownership, I would say Bijan stands out, Montgomery stands out, and and maybe Kyron is like a contrarian play because if people yeah. aren't going to chase that game, obviously Cleveland's a terrible matchup, but um, the Rams could get there against Cleveland. And if Kyron somehow really beats this tough defense, uh, he's going to be under 5% owned. And we know we, again, he just put up 40 last week. Yeah, that's that's not a bad call. 7,200, you get the price increase coming into the Cleveland matchup. That should reduce ownership even further. But I got to bring it over to Miami here because everybody is asking about Miami. Is Raheem Moster really coming in under 6%? That's from Justin. Good to see you, my guy. Depends on Achan probably. Uh, yeah, Achan uh, uh, limited in practice, but uh, should be should be a go more than likely. I think he's probably closer to playing. Those are two breakneck speed dudes coming into the same backfield. And then I think you just have to talk about it from a leverage perspective. Miami, 24.3% top stack percentage, double that of Philly, which is second in our top stacks tool. 
This is direct leverage, I think, off of some of those passing game pieces that you want to get against Washington that I'm sure I'm going to roster against Washington when we get to when we get to the top stacks portion and wide receiver portion of this program. But what do you think about the Miami backfield, which is one that is a well, it's won people some money this season, uh, definitely pre HN injury. Yeah, I worry about HN coming back in. I mean, like just because of what it means for him most certain. Also, like HN is like a, a tremendous back, like a guy who's shown a lot of juice in terms of both uh, his avoided tackle rate, in terms of the EPA metrics, in terms of just breaking long plays over and over again. Obviously, those all kind of go hand in hand. Um, but with Mostert, like, you know, we see what he's been where, you know, even against the Jets. So Eric mentioned the Jets aren't a great run defense, but they are still a good defense overall. And mm-hmm. Mostert put up an easy 20 points against them. Um, and that was with, I believe, a touchdown being vultured away in that one, or at least some touches being vultured away uh, by Jeff Wilson, for sure. Um, so in the spot, I, I think you like you should probably be wanting to play a Miami running back just because we're, they're going against the commanders. You know what the commanders do uh, the commanders. There was something I saw on Twitter, too, where basically the commanders are like the only team. I think they're giving up seven points more than the uh, implied totals every week on average. So like you're talking about potentially what Miami puts up 35 like there's got to be two, maybe three rushing touchdowns in there. Um, so I think getting a Miami running back is certainly a good play. The price tag is tough. I think the projections aren't going to align that well, and that's why Raheem Mostert is projecting for so little ownership. But if that somehow is a contrarian play, um, I think that's a really strong one to go to because they should put a lot a lot of points up on the commanders. And, and Howell's not going to give up either. So that's a positive sign that they could keep, actual, keep the starters in and hope that they actually get the upside. All right. Two more chalkier pieces that we'll talk about before we get to your favorite tournament plays that we can take some shots on, you know, sub six, eight percent. You know, people really want those low owned tournament plays. But Ramondre Stevenson versus Brees Hall, they're both low sixes. They're both on terrible football teams in their current iterations. Maybe Aaron Rodgers gets his Achilles Achilles healed by God and shows up. But that doesn't seem very likely to me this season. And then Ramondre Stevenson, 6K there. You're probably getting Bailey Zappi starting at quarterback here for the New England Patriots. I know uh, for whatever reason, Bill Belichick doesn't want to tell us something that we already know, which is Mac Jones sucks and that Bailey Zappi is probably going to start. But such is life. Ramondre Stevenson against a Chargers defense that uh, isn't exactly adding a lot to the table either. Do you have a pick between these two pieces pulling between 15 and 18% ownership? Uh, Who would be the other one with Ramondre? Ramondre and Brees Hall. Oh, yeah, I would favor Ramondre in that one, I think. The Chargers are just so soft against everything, and it does feel like Ramondre consolidated some pass game work for himself. But, you know, Zeke's been a, an albatross for sure for Ramondre on the year. Um, and I do worry about Zappi. Like, I know we hate Mac Jones, or, you know, everybody kind of seems to hate Mac Jones. I feel bad for Mac Jones. I feel like he's gotten the worst <laughs> outlay of bad coaching and then bad situations. And then the team this year is clearly not equipped on either side of the ball. The talent around him sucks. Um, but that said, like, I think he's better than Bailey Zappi. So I kind of worry about Ramondre's ability to get going. But that said, he is a running back. So, like, you know, the thing with backup QBs that I always try to say when doing content is, like, backup QBs can't get the ball outside. That's why they're backup QBs. They can't get the ball to the boundary receivers. So they target the tight end a lot more. And then, you know, in some cases, we'll target the running back a little bit more. So for Ramondre, like, he could benefit and get a lot of PPR touches and be there absolutely. Um, I would say I would favor Ramondre over Brees. I'd favor Ramondre over Javante, I think, unless you're playing – a contrarian Houston Texans don't go off kind of build. Um, I think Ramon is probably relative to price, like my number two favorite back on the slate. And I, and I'm not a Ramon guy. I loved him in best ball last year at pick 100, pick 120 this year. He was going, I thought was stupid. Uh, but where he is right now, six K salary, good matchup against the chargers. As long as New England doesn't get completely dusted, like Ramon probably gonna have a pretty good day. 
Yeah, as soon as Ezekiel Elliott got signed, I'm pretty positive I had zero interest in Ramondre Stevenson in best ball. If he fell into a couple of builds for me early on there, I would have understood it. But uh, yeah, the whole Zeke thing is just so dumb. I I don't quite understand. But hey, you got to have somebody else, I suppose. And it's just maybe it's the name recognition thing. It's not like Zeke's playing some major prominent role. Ramondre back-to-back weeks with 20-plus touches. So that's kind of what you're looking for out of him. Been a little bit more efficient on the ground as well. 4.4, 4.7 yards per carry in those. 9.7 there in week nine against Washington. Nice to see that come to the table. But Pittsburgh, Matt Canada, he is no more. Jalen Warren was going to be unleashed until he wasn't, decided to fumble it. Najee Harris, 5,200 Najee Harris. These guys have been priced right about the same constantly. And now you're running into the best matchup that they've had in quite some time going up against Arizona. On the road in Cincy, on the road in Cleveland. Yeah, Green Bay was good, and that was a nifty one for, for Jalen Warren. But, like, both of these guys are pulling top 12 RB ownership right now. That is wild to see, but new offense, new construction, Arizona pretty depleted on the offensive end. I'm not sure this really has any shootout potential. If you're seeing a Trey McBride being dinged up, if you see Greg Dortch and all these other guys that miss practice on Wednesday get a little bit shaky come come Sunday, but how do you feel about Jalen Warren plus Najee Harris here in this spot against Arizona? I think it's tough because it is a pure 50 50 split. Like I do love Jalen Warren for like a best ball format where you can kind of set it and forget it. And if he, if he has a great day or if he has a day that props you up against other running backs, like great. If he doesn't get there, then it doesn't hurt you for DFS. Like I wasn't on him as a chalk play last week. I know you had kind of talked about him on live before lock and we're a little bit more pro, I believe, but like, you know, I think he's a great I player I for been... it, by the way. Yeah. So like the Najee part of it just sucks. Like Najee is, uh, Najee still is not good, I would say, by the traditional sense, but he is better than he was last year, though the offensive line, I think, gets a lot of that credit. Offensive line is like such an important part of this equation where Josh Jacobs, like the offensive line is worse this year. And even though he's getting 20 touches a game, it's like that's what's propping up. It's not that he's good. He's got one third of the avoided tackles. He's not getting into space quite as well. Um, so for the Steelers, like that's what's driving them both. I think they're both valid plays. I personally think Jalen Warren's a better play because we saw him get a little more target work. Obviously, the PPR points on drafting is going to be more important. But in terms of touchdown equity, Najee has a little bit more. Like Jalen Warren has to get out from outside the red zone, basically. Um, so I think they both have their merits, and I'm okay playing both because Arizona's a really nice matchup. And uh, to the point that I talked about it with Ben, like I'm willing to do Kenny Pickett stacks this week because Arizona's just so soft. And um, if there is a bounce back, a dead cat bounce for the Steelers' offense after they changed everything over, um, this could be it because this is like one of the best matchups in football besides the Commanders. Yeah, this is the cheaper version of Gibbs Montgomery to me. I yeah. would have interest in Gibbs Montgomery if I could guess something beyond 50-50, but I can't. And this one I can't either, but at least they're cheaper. And they're going up against a better better spot here in Arizona at home. Uh, Pittsburgh being at home, that is. I feel pretty good about taking shots on them yet again. I feel like I've been overweight to one or the other every week for like a month. It's not a fun feeling. And, you know, getting 18 or 20 from Jalen Warren when he was sub-5K, that was a lot of fun. 5,400, we're starting to get there. We're starting to get to a little bit of an issue, but uh, I do like what we saw from the offense. They're just actually proactively throwing the football and trying to score points. That's good to see from a Pittsburgh offense. So uh, Jalen Warren, Najee Harris, didn't know if you had any preference. I think it's kind of hard to. It's hard to have an opinion. So I guess my opinion will be, who can I get into lineups more and who's going to be lower owned to some extent? Should be fun to track. I would also um, say too that they're probably the most live price point pivots to Zach Moss, just relative yeah. to everybody else in the slate. Like, and honestly, you know, like you want to get weird with it. I would not recommend this doing for a large portion portfolio, but 
you play them both and then you see how that goes if you want to because like they are getting enough of a workload and they both have to find enough roles where like warren gets seven targets and catches six of them and then maybe gets one touchdown Najee gets two that's how you beat the pittsburgh stack mm-hmm. i think there's something interesting there i don't know that i would want to play it a lot but just a thought just a thought exercise here on the ownership show yeah I, there was there was a part another thought exercise I had was thinking about Carolina and then I reminded that I don't hate myself. Um, I <laughs> I was looking at Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders. Do you know how many carries they each had specifically last week? It was dead even, right? I don't know. Fourteen the number, and fifteen apiece. I did not see in the range of outcomes after the firing of Frank Reich fifteen carries coming for Miles Sanders, but alas. I suppose he's the one who got paid Chuba Hubbard. He's been the better back, no doubt about it. He ends up having the passing game work against Tennessee, puts up the 20 spot. Uh, Would have been crazy contrarian there, I think, on that slate. But, I mean, I I don't know if this is going to be a 50-50 thing here, but I'm not going to rely on 15 touches for Miles Sanders coming down the the pipeline anytime soon. Thank God it's Tampa Bay where, at least, you know, from a running perspective, uh, they've been second best in the NFL against running backs this season uh, from a fantasy perspective. So I can kind of pump the brakes a little bit there. But as we round out the running back position, smash the like button because Spags is about to give you goodness. I don't know what that goodness is going to be. But who is your favorite running back to roster? We're going to give you under 10% here on this slate. If it can be somebody we've talked about, it can be somebody that you really want to highlight. But we're going to get out of running back, move on to wide receiver. Who do the people need to know is going to smash on Sunday? I mean, I think it's got to be Mostert or Achan. I would probably favor Mostert just because of the knee stuff. I think Achan probably mm. gets limited touch-wise, maybe closer to 10 to 15 as a max. Um, but I think one of those guys is going to go off, and I think there's a two-touchdown day. And I would say I'd probably go for Mostert. Like right now, he's protected for under 1% ownership. If he's 1% owned, I would play Raheem Mostert and not have an issue with it. So uh, just it's too good of a matchup against Washington. Like I feel the same way about that as I do about uh, Steelers back. So we talked about. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about the wide receivers. They're going to be popular, as they should be, Washington. Uh, they are fruitful when it comes to that good stuff. But again, smash the like button for our sponsor, Prize Picks. Going to be good stuff checking out Prize Picks here. If you're in a non-legal betting state, if you have an opportunity to jump on Prize Picks, lots of states where there is legalized betting and Prize Picks in conjunction. I was just in New York City. It was phenomenal to have everything at my expo- uh, not at my exposure, at my test. My fingertips. There they are. <laughs> I've had to find a little bit of that. Johnny. Uh, oh, man. That's a great documentary for what it's worth. Your, your prize p- oh, my Everybody God. Here my fingertips. I... Anyway, prize picks a great app you could go to. Love. I love Taco Tuesday. Yep. Taco Tuesday is a lot of fun, even on Thursdays. Uh, it could be Puppet Lindquist Thursdays, I think. Jordan Klein just loving having it back. I, I kind of love it, kind of hate it. It's kind of both, but uh, I definitely love everything about prize picks because you're getting fixed payouts coming into it. I play a ton over there. It's absolutely fantastic. And uh, you can play across multiple sports. We have tools over at Odd Shopper that can help you really go out there and find an edge. You have correlation that you can put into your lineups. You can look at Thursday night football in conjunction with Monday night football. You can play things across multiple sports, multiple different types of variations, whether it's pass completions, kicking points, punts. There are so many small edges that you can find at multiple spots throughout prize picks. But with this fixed payout structure, whether it's two, four, six, doesn't matter what it is, it remains the same. So yes, you can play two through six players in one card, fire it up, went up to 25X your money, and uh, 
again, lots of fun. I'm going to be doing a ton of content here coming very shortly for prize picks. Excited to bring that to you. But get a head start. Get $100 first match deposit bonus as well. As all of those odd chopper tools I talked about, we have the, the fantasy optimizer for it, the prize picks optimizer. Just look at expected win percentage at the top of the page. You're going to get one month when you sign up over at prize picks to be able to try that out for the very first time. For the first time. I had to sing a little bit for Spags, but fire it up. Look at the chat there. Prize pick stuff. God, why did I pick that song of all songs? But prize picks, friends, phenomenal stuff. Week in, week out, day in, day out. Check them out. Sponsor of our program. Thank you so much to them. To the wide receiver position we go. Oh, my Lord. Tyreek Hill, how you doing this fine day, sir? 24.9% ownership, the highest owned by nearly what? Eight and a half percent? Holy mother of God, 9,600 Tyreek Hill, most expensive, but most owned because his role is absurd. And also the hard knocks is fantastic. So he's probably getting the hard knocks bump if I had to guess. No, he's not. It's just Tyreek Hill's good. How are you feeling about him against this Washington defense that we said they're the worst in the NFL against wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, I love Tyreek in the spot. I think it's a little bit different than it was a couple of years ago with Cooper Cup, where uh, Cooper Cup was priced around 10K for so many slates, and he still kept smashing because he was getting 10, 15 targets, 100, 150 yards every game, a touchdown or two. Um, that was worth the price tag because the floor was there. I think Tyreek's floor is a little bit more elusive, but he also has the ceiling to put up 45. I would say he could crest past 50 in this spot if they really were to go to him heavy and were to say, all right, let's get you the 2K yards. Like, let's just make it so this mm -hmm. is the game where you're you're going to have safe sailing here if we don't want to play you down the home stretch. Maybe if we run away with the AFC East, we don't have to. I think that's a possibility where just put out one big outlier game. And, and frankly, I know that wide receivers can't win MVP, Tyreek like, should be an MVP contender, shouldn't he? Yeah, he 100% should. He changes the complexion of your team. And even on a week last week where you saw Tua struggle, like Tua legitimately struggled against the Jets. A lot of quarterbacks struggle against the Jets. But Tyreek Hill and Raheem Mostert and what Mike McDaniel does with these players is he finds open space and he just lets them create. And it's it's almost like it's almost like a guy who's coaching a rec basketball league. It's just in football form. It's just these guys that are having a lot of joy playing this game in the backyard, doing the thing, getting in motion nonstop. And the way that they use motion for Tyreek Hill is just so, so incredible. He finds space every single time. And then he's got great hands. He really doesn't make mistakes route running. It's He's just the best wide receiver in the NFL at 9,600 in the best spot you can ask for in the NFL. So I think the, the ownership, I in years past would have seen this and said, Oh, I can't play Tyreek Hill. I can't do it. I have to play Keenan Allen at nine K against new England on the road, or I got to do no, no, no. Tyreek Hill is in like an unfatable spot. If you're playing more than like one lineup. Yeah, I agree. I think Tyreek, you know, Tyreek and Zach Moss are going to be a popular combo. So you have to figure out how to get different amidst yeah. that. Is that playing one of the Miami running backs? I think where the ownership is right now, it's what I would say. Could also be stacking up an expensive two. I think that's a little bit less appealing, but um, Tyreek's just too good. The opportunity's too good. The upside's too good. So like, I would not opt for a strict fade here. It's easier to fade, I think, a wide receiver than it is a running back for the most part because you have other guys who can hit that ceiling. But it really is like Keenan Allen versus Tyreek, and I personally would not want to bet against Tyreek in this matchup where he like he might break off like a pair of 50-yard touchdowns, but it just wouldn't shock me. Uh, it would not shock me at all. It, it, it would be the scariest fade to just sit there with zero Tyreek Hill. I don't know. Again, it's hard to know where I'm going to land come Sunday. There's so many variables, so many things that go into the Sims tool. And when you're simulating out your lineups where you have some injury news that'll 
definitely help us figure out, hey, how much value do we have here at the bottom end of the wide receiver pool? Because running back, we already have it. We already have a Zach Moss piece that makes it accessible to get to Tyreek Hill and not feel as though, you know, you're treading water. So I, I really like that spot for him. I think you said you had a lot of uh, Indy Tampa Bay last week, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, how about Michael Pittman, Josh Downs against Tennessee that, um, well, they're the second worst in the NFL against the wide receiver position. I love Pittman. I think Pittman, again, is live this matchup. Tennessee, a a pass funnel. Obviously, we're expecting Zach Moss to get good results relative to that, but they've been really soft against the pass all year. And Michael Pittman, you know, last week against Tampa Bay, I think that's uh, a very similar matchup to Tennessee where they're going to get some pressure up front. They're going to do some things schematically that make it a little bit tougher, but they just can't defend the pass downfield very well and certainly can't defend the pass um, on throws of under 20 air yards. Let me just pull up the number really fast, but yeah. Indianapolis going against Tennessee here. Tennessee gives up a 75.8% completion rate. So 76 completion rate on throws of under 20 air yards. So that's where Michael Pittman feasts. That's where he gets the most work. Josh Downs as well. Same thing. Uh, Pittman's price is coming up. Like I'm very happy to have had uh, some early Pittman best ball shares. Cause I feel like it's a little bit shocking to see him at 7100 but i think he's worth it i think tennessee as a matchup is worth it even if you're not playing zach moss Pittman slash uh Pittman plus downs is like the best leverage against zach moss so like there's two ways to attack that where you play Pittman with moss you play Pittman without moss and both ways can work out well so i think he's a really strong play and i think showing more touchdown equity more recently too like great ppr upside great uh ceiling in terms of the yardage so i think he's a really strong play and again he would be my second favorite receiver on the week so me and the chalk just Wow, just kissing each other right in the face. Hey, can I throw out one pivot off of that? Because I think Alec Pierce is in play for probably the first time all season based on his role last week. We saw a 34% target share for Michael Pittman. We saw a 32% target share for Josh Downs, just 16% for Alec Pierce. But he had an 11 dot next to Michael Pittman, 7.38. Josh Downs sitting there with 4.25. Basically, Alec Pierce getting targeted a little bit further down the field and Hey, 16% target rate there. If we get anything close to that, which again, he's had a couple of 14s. If we're going to get him being the guy who has the dot into the, the deeper shots, we get a couple of those to be more catchable. And you could be looking at 3,300, the nuts as a massive pivot off of those two guys. But more than likely what I'll do is I'll just rotate in large field, a couple of those 3,300 Alec Pierce shares alongside a Pittman or a downs and just replace out one of them. So I'm not running into a bunch of dupes with that, but am I an insane person? I mean, Pierce is tough, man, because I really thought that with the Steichen offense and how it was going to work out, like I felt really confident about Pittman kind of getting a share of both the the A.J. Brown role and also the Devontae Smith role. But I thought that like with how Pierce played last year where he was better downfield than he should have been given the QB play they had, I thought he could be like the homeless man's A.J. Brown. Like not like very, <laughs> like the, the most homeless, like to be clear. But like, but you know, like in the range of outcomes, like here's A.J. Brown, here's Alec Pierce, like it could have been there. And he's just not done that at all. So I'm a little bit gun shy on him. If he works out for the best ball shares, I have him great. But I, for DFS, I think the case you made is pretty compelling, especially at 3,300. But I, I think it's it's tough, man. But he, that's actually pretty interesting. You go Moss, you go Pierce, you go yeah. Tyreek, and you're getting leverage on a lot of different stuff, and you're saving a ton of money. And you might even get McCaffrey in that lineup. Um, real stars and scrubs potential if you want to go with Alec Pierce. Kind of, It's something I thought about yesterday looking at the slate and wanted to bring it up to you, mainly because you're sharp. You know your NFL and – uh, it's just one of those things for me, just doing an NBA content in conjunction with NFL, where some of the t- some of the times the data can be a little bit noisy. I don't always have the time to go through the routes, but like 50% easy target rate, catchable target rate, 67%. If we see him get targeted with an 11 dot in a spot like this against Tennessee, I think he comes in very, very slept on. So 
thought that that was at least something to talk about from a leverage perspective, but we have a lot more popular wide receivers, Jalen Waddle as well, 7,600 there in that Miami offense going up against Washington, both of the Pittsburgh Steeler wide receivers here, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. I mean, it's just nice to see Matt Canada out of there. I think that that gives hope to everybody. And now you're getting them at a low price point. Them, Pat Fryermuth will obviously talk about it, the tight end position coming off of last week and lots of other pieces here in this mid-range. Guys between 10 and 15%. Who kind of stands out to you in this range? Uh, you bring up Pickens. Like, I really wish it were a better outlay for him. Uh, form, another uh, former stochastic alum, uh, Kyle Dvorak, tweeted out something which mm. hurt me a little bit. The splits of Pickens with Deontay Johnson on the field versus Deontay Johnson off. It's a seven PPR point difference. Like, Pickens is like a legit wide receiver one without Deontay, and then Deontay comes in, and they both just kind of get caught in the muck. But I think relative to the matchup, especially if you're not playing the running backs, or I guess even if you are, um, I think Pickett stacks are viable. I think you're also getting direct leverage on Freermuth, who is obviously coming off the big chalk day. Um, so if Pickens goes off, Freermuth comes down. If Johnson goes off, uh, Freermuth comes down. I think that's sort of the way that I would view that. So I think they have some merits. Um, besides them, mm, I think Monra is in kind of interesting spot if New Orleans can be competitive. Um, I do like Monra. I feel like Gibbs is kind of hurting him a little bit because Monra's feasted off of those kind of close to the line of scrimmage targets, whereas ADOT was under seven. He's now getting a little bit deeper downfield because Gibbs has taken some of the flat away. But like Gibbs is still out there taking, you know, four to six targets, four to eight targets, I guess, at a high end potentially away. That's not great for Monra, but it's a tournament play. Uh, cheaper price tag than both Keenan Allen and Tyree Kill. I think he makes sense. And. Mm, AJ Brown, maybe. I don't know. I feel like AJ Brown is hurt by having Dallas Goddard out. We've seen a lot of targets going Devontae Smith's way. And it's almost been a reminder that, like, yeah, Devontae Smith should be a 1B instead of just the number two to AJ Brown's number one. Um, like it was last year. I think that was when Philly was the most fun offense. Uh, but Brown at under 10% ownership, like we know he's got slate breaking upside. I would say he and Amonra make the most game theory sense to me because we they could put up 40 and then they're also cheaper than Tyreek and Allen. And I think that's maybe something that could help you leave the field. I mean, the Chiefs kind of sold out to stop A.J. Brown. Buffalo, they did a pretty good job. Some of it was weather. Some of it was, you know, just Devonta Smith was was wide open in a couple of those spots and hard to get away from. A.J. Brown ran as hot as humanly could be. Going up against San Francisco, we'll see kind of where that ownership lands, 8.2%. I think that that's, that's just one that we're going to have to pay a lot of attention to considering Miami, a quarter of the time, they're going to be at the top stack in this spot on a slate like this, according to our top stacks tool. Pretty wild, but Philadelphia sitting there at second, slightly ahead of Houston. And I want to talk Houston because the thing that's the most glaring to me on this slate is the Houston ownership going up against Denver. And you brought it up. Nico Collins, Tank Dell, 6,800, 7,400. If Denver's defense has been more matchup positive rather than like just flat out, I mean, what in the absolute world? Are we looking at seeing sub seven, sub eight percent for Nico and Tank Dell? Tank Dell was one play, one bad motion call from the ref, just a ticky tack call away from smashing that slate last week. And now we get him at seven percent. Now we get Nico Collins at seven percent. I don't give a shit about their price tags. I am going to find lots of room for these guys in tournament well under their optimal rates. How do you feel about the Houston passing attack against Denver? I mean, I love Houston. Again, I've been chasing this Denver defense for about five weeks now since the Jordan Love game where that went. I'm joining you this week. 
Yeah. And I think this is the week. Like I, I, you know, I, I know it's tough to say that because people to see the results and I get it like Denver on 20, you know, 20 points, 25 points. They're not giving up the same amount of points they were earlier in the year, but like the metrics haven't gotten better for them. The underlying metrics, the EPA metrics are not good. Denver's still positive EPA per pass allowed, positive EPA per drop back allowed 0.02 and 0.03 respectively 0.02 EPA per rush. Any positive rush allowed uh, in terms of EPA metrics is a positive thing because EPA's uh, expected points added. It's inherently less effective to run the ball. So seeing that be a positive, you can get there for my, uh, for Singletary as well, uh, having most of the workload for uh, with Pierce coming back. But it's still 390 yards per game that Denver's defense is going up. And we're not in Denver. That's another big part of it that a lot of these games have been in Denver as well. Um, so I think Houston is very live. I hate paying 8,100 for CJ Stroud. I think that's uh, a very tough price to stomach for him. And the whole stack with him and uh, Tank and Nico is going to be pretty pricey. Uh, but Schultz also pretty pricey, but 5K at tight end. I think a QB plus two, QB plus three is in play. Like they can really put it on uh, Denver if they want. And 25.5 implied points for Houston is a little bit on the higher side for what they're usually getting. So I think it aligns well. I'm with you. I worry about the field's ownership of Tank because they seem to go to Tank no matter where he is. Like he was, what, 33% owned last week, even though that was not where ownership anywhere had him because they just can't anticipate the public loving this guy that much. But Tank is, you know, bootleg Tyreek, I think, in some ways. We're even using him similarly in some plays now, including the big play that Eric talked about that got called back. So I like them a lot. I think Houston is definitely a stack that um, I would trust this week. But, you know, there's a lot of ways you can go. Give me some Noah Brown to 4,500 if he plays, if he suits up. That would be nice to get him instead of dusty old Robert Woods out there for damn sure. Wanted a highlight star centerfold that one because I think if the slate started now, that would probably be the team that I would have an egregious amount of. And I was a noted hater of CJ Stroud coming in. It's hard not to because everybody kind of hated Ohio State quarterbacks coming into the NFL. And I, I just kind of felt like one of the little lemmings who maybe didn't see that CJ Stroud had this kind of potential. But my God, could not be more wrong and could not be more happy to be wrong because he's been really fun to watch. Yeah, he's great. I mean, the thing that jumped out to me from college for him was that, like, he did create value. And this is where the EPA metrics, I think, matter. Is like he was adding value at throws under 10 yards, throws 10 to 20, throws plus 20. And, like, when guys do that and it's not just a system thing, like Bryce Young was kind of a lot of yak plays for help driving his value. Mm-hmm. CJ Stroud is making these guys good. And I know they have a lot of talent there. They've had a lot of talent for years now. Uh, but I think that CJ Stroud's a special guy. And um, he's the combination of it all is like so much fun to watch. Like they're probably, would you agree that they're like the most fun team? Miami is probably still the most fun, but they're like top three fun, if nothing else. Yeah, I think some people, because Miami was fun last year, maybe they're tired of it this year. I think Houston's the new hot chick in town. Like she just moved from a, a neighboring town to the city and she's wearing short skirts and you really like what you see because, well, it's just different. It's built different, son. And it's, it's a lot of fun. You don't think you have a chance, but then all of a sudden she's really fun at the bar. You're hanging out, you're chatting. You're like, oh shit, she knows ball too. This is a joke. And then you fall in love and then you're married. And then maybe it gets a little bit worse from time to time because you start looking in the rear view and you see, oh man, I could have been with so many other girls. But at the, t- at the same time, Houston, you know, it has a special place in your heart. Oh yeah, I love it when we talk oh, sexy fuck. about the ladies. That's that's where I really thrive. Is talking lasciviously about the gals out there. But these Houston Texans, quite the saucy game for sure. Why did you go to like Jewish grandmother at the end of that? <laughs> I got, I think it's more like a Harley <laughs> Quinn thing, where it's like, oh, Miss Mister J. <laughs> oh, I can't even be mad. All right, um. Well, there's a lot of unowned wide receivers here on this slate. Adam Thielen, the price is starting to come down to a place in 6,600. Thanks a lot for buying high against Tennessee last week. That didn't go well. 
Not not well at all. Corlin Sutton, I, I think, will be a popular run back option, 5,400. But I don't completely hate the idea of a 4,700 Jerry Judy if he ends up suiting out. If he sits, we could be looking at Denver value. Can we please unleash Marvin Mims one time, although he was limited in practice as well? That would be an enjoyable experience for me. Or probably going to be end up being miserable because Russell Wilson doesn't target him. But there's a lot of unowned wide receivers here sitting sub 10% that we could definitely take some shots on. I think my favorite is probably Debo Samuel, 6,200, going up against this Philadelphia pass uh, or this Philadelphia secondary that just, they got to prove it to me, man. I do not believe in Philadelphia's defense whatsoever. If they want to be a Super Bowl contender, show it to me here against Debo and Brandon Ayuk, and maybe I'll start to believe. But I really like getting to San Francisco pieces. Probably not going to go with the Purdy stack. I think that he'll end up being popular. I think he's the third highest on quarterback on this slate, but. What are you kind of seeing sub 10% in the ownership department to round out wide receiver? I did see Thielen's name and thought that was kind of interesting. I do feel like with Frank Reich retaking the play calling duties that we didn't see the outlier day for Adam Thielen. And now that he's fired, I just don't think it gets better. Like I kind of personally believe that Adam Thielen now we're seeing that it's not about their will to get in the ball. We're now seeing that he's an old guy. And as you get like, you know, further in the year for an older guy, it's like, they just can't keep it up. Uh, no, no pun intended, but they can't keep it going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> both of the arrogant Jordan's yeah. eyes lit up. It was say, yeah. keep it up. But he, he, I hope he can keep it up for can his sake. Keep but he, it but he, up, daddy. Performance-wise, yeah. Jordan um, hates it when I say daddy on shows. <laughs> Hi, daddy. Um, so for Adam Thielen, I kind of feel like maybe the best games were in the past. I, I could take in flyers on him, but I think the trajectory he's on right now is more of a reflection on what we thought he was going to be heading into the year. Then we kind of had the dead cat bounce for a guy being you know healthy to start the year, and then he just comes back down to earth because the volume's decreasing a little bit. Um, so I worry about that. And frankly, too, if I were the Carolina Panthers right now, it's a special teams guy who's coaching the team. I would try somebody else besides Thielen to feed the ball to see what you have in the future. Like give Mingo the ball, even though he's not the most competent. I'd put Terrace Marshall back in the mix. I know he hasn't been great this year. He was great last year. Uh, either way, though, Thielen, I kind of think the best days are done for him. Brandon Ayuk, I'm intrigued by. I know you mentioned Debo in the same matchup. Mm -hmm. um, Ayuk at 7,200, a little bit pricier. Ayuk, we know, like in these kind of matchups, he's the guy who gets open versus everybody. So Philly, you know, uh, not the secondary they had last year for sure. A lot of guys regressing, a lot of guys getting worse. But I think Ayuk in that kind of spot where it is competitive, where you don't necessarily need to have him getting big plays, then the game's over and he can't do anything else. Um, I think in this spot, like it could be an Ayuk ceiling spot. So him at 7,200, under 10%, I think would be the one that jumps out. And and last but not least, A.T. Perry, 3,300. Uh, very hey. talented guy coming out of Wake Forest, like what he's been doing so far. Um, I do think we would like to see Olave out to, for him to have like a really secure role. And even then you do have Kamara and Taysom Hill breathing down his neck. But for that value for a guy who's a big body dude who can go up and get some jump balls. We saw the play against uh, with Jameis Winston a couple of weeks ago where Jameis yeah. threw it across the field. A.T. Perry fully made that play himself. Um, I think Perry at 3,300 is probably a nice value play. And you could definitely like build a value wide receiver lineup and hope to get the, the upside, especially if Mims does get more routes. He's also 3,300. I think it's so unfun that Derek Carr is the quarterback of New Orleans because I would love to see Olave and A.T. Perry with Jameis Winston. And yeah, that throw against my Vikings, wasn't it? The, it was against the Vikings, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, he threw it literally. He was like at the two-yard line, goes left, rolls right, throws it a jump ball for A.T. Perry, and it's just like, hey, go get this, sir. And then he does probably something there where familiarity just being on the second unit there in practice, but... Uh, A.T. Perry, really enjoyable stuff that uh, I, I like that shout out at 3,300 at Detroit secondary. They're not good. I mean, we're seeing Jordan Love carve them up on Thanksgiving like turkey. It was beautiful. But 
Um, actually not beautiful because I hate both teams. And if they could have tied, that would have been the best result for my Viking fandom. But I'm looking at one last spot. And I just want to get your opinion because I think this is the last real thing I want to talk about wide receiver because I'm probably going to lose all validity after this. Marquise Brown, Michael Wilson, Trey McBride, I think all might be in jeopardy considering it's on the road in a game that doesn't matter going up against Pittsburgh. Greg Dortch could end up getting tons and tons and tons of ownership come Sunday based on what his perceived role is. And in some of these spots, he's been a target monster. Somebody who can beat man coverage, can be somebody who's wide open, ended up being a little bit more popular than I anticipated last week. Was surprised to see people get onto him here. I suppose saw the box score week 11 against Houston and said, oh, let's run that back. He ends up getting the touchdown to salvage. Not really great targets there. Three, uh, Nine targets for three catches, but that touchdown salvaged. I'm looking at Rondale Moore at 3,400. He's a kid out of Purdue who can do things from the line of scrimmage, you know, catch balls and, and just can be completely yak, uh, can can go nuts in the in the rushing attack as well from time to time on some end arounds. Feel like a, a 1% Rondale Moore if Greg Dorch ends up getting steamed up. He's already at 5.2% and could be the only wide receiver out there. What do you think about that ridiculous call to get it over with? I think it makes some sense. I mean, so like what you mentioned about the Cardinals and I think the injury report thing that you highlighted might be more important than it might seem because this has been why I didn't want to take Kyler Murray in best ball was my fear was that he would be out the first eight to 10 weeks and that ended up being the case. Then he comes out there and it's like, okay, we've showed he's healthy enough. So if we keep him, great, we know what we have. If we trade him, we now put some stuff on film and show that he's still the same Kyler. And I think they've proven that. So I kind of worry at some point, and it maybe won't be this week, but Arizona shouldn't be playing. Like they shouldn't be playing their guys right now. They should be tanking for the pick. It's going to help them decide the future of the franchise. But I think like in that case, like a Rondale Moore probably safe because he's playing for a next contract, I think at this point, or, you know, an opportunity moving forward. He hasn't gotten the biggest one. And it is a Pittsburgh team that blitz is at a high rate. We're talking about a 36% blitz rate. How do you beat the blitz? You attack guys going into that space that the blitzer's coming from. And Rondale Moore is the low ADOT guy who can do that. So especially if you saw McBride somehow be out, I presume he'll be a go because it's early in the week. Um, but if you saw like McBride out, like Rondale Moore is the low dot target you go to. So I could see it. We've seen him break big plays as well. And then you have the parts of like maybe Marquise Brown snap share starts to come down a little bit. So 3,400 again, I think there's a compelling case to make some lineups with like a few guys under 4k because there are a few viable plays and probably more than usual under 4k this week. That there are guys smash that like button here. We got Spags, we got Puppet Lindquist, and we got myself hanging out, bringing you the Thursday goods. That's for sure. Really enjoy talking football with my guy. Miss talking sports with my guys. So really enjoyable. If not for you guys, then for me, this is a selfish show and I feel good about it, but we're going to head to tight end here. But first check out odd shopper friends, Stochastic Odd Shopper, we are one. One is us. We're, we're fantastic stuff here. And Odd Shopper just slashed all the prices across the board. $14.95 for a week to try it out. The Discord alone, to be able to get my picks on the daily, we're talking $20. Now you're getting the tools, the, the most important part of the equation, in addition to the Discord for $15. $14.95 for a week. We're talking $50 there for a month unbelievable value that you have there if you're in a legal betting state if you're in a non-legal betting state they have fantasy optimizers to help you put together the best prize picks cards that's our sponsor here of the program i don't know why i pointed to my tv there's nothing on there but uh just a habit i suppose guys check out everything over at odd shopper again 14.95 check out oddshopper.com incredible value there fantasy optimizer there for the prize picks underdog streets you have the the opportunity to bet positive expected value plays that jump to the top of the board in every single sport nba mlb nfl everything across the board 
amazing tool that shows you a market-based approach based on what Sharp Sportsbook are doing. And you're able to bet here on your DraftKings, your FanDuel's, your BetMGM's, your Caesars, and find the best value available every single time. Great stuff. What, Jordan Klein? What's so funny? Don't laugh at me. I saw it. Why? What, what, what did I do? I feel like I'm doing a great job over here. No? Anyway, check out Shopper. Expected win percentage and expat percentage and amazing things. So check it all out. Really great stuff. Kenny Pickett stacks. That's where, whoa, God. I, I don't know if I have the balls for such things. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But let's talk tight end here first. Then we'll talk top stacks and we'll get the heck up out of here. But David Njoku is the most popular play on the slate. What a time to be alive. Yeah, I, I think, too, if Joe Flacco starts, I don't know that that's necessarily correct because, again, part of the reason that backup QBs target these guys is because they can't get the ball downfield. And Njoku's been targeted heavily by DTR, who's afraid to get the ball downfield to Amari Cooper, or, you know, is being coached out of doing it because uh, he might have enough of an arm based on what he did at UCLA. Uh, PJ Walker, though, same thing. I Njoku's cheap, but I think the situation changes enough here where I think Joe Flacco is going to be bombing in this one because that's what he did the last time he started as a Jets QB. Uh, I think he gets it downfield to Amari Cooper, maybe to, I don't know, to Elijah Moore. Can Elijah Moore get downfield? Um, I just don't think it's an Njoku layup spot. So it's not that much ownership, though. 13% is not great. Durham Smythe is projected for 100% ownership. Smythe me, almighty Smyther. He is, uh. he has been an awful pick in best ball. I thought he would get like one of those days where he's like, ah, two touchdowns because they're covering Tyreek. Nope. Durham Smythe is just, just out there hanging out. Hey, Miami is a good spot to be hanging out, especially on this football team. Yes, coach, I will go block, sir. Yes, sir. I don't need to catch footballs, even though that's all I'm good at, sir. Um, very strange. Very strange Durham Smythe usage. For him to be 2,500 in a Miami offense, I think it makes sense that he's getting steamed up. I will probably have zero. I, I can't remember what week it was that I played like nearly 100% of him. I think it was that Denver game where they scored 70, and I think he had two. Yeah, he came up a lot in the Sims, which, you know, was yeah. the right play in hindsight because he put up a shitload of points. But boy, he was not part of it. 70 points as a team. I think he had two and a half. There we go. I was right. Oh, my God. That was painful. That was pain and suffering personified. But we got Trey McBride. He was he was out of practice Wednesday, was still working out on the side for whatever that's worth. Logan Thomas there, 3,600 as a run back option for Miami. I think he ends up being the guy who's probably the most popular play on the slate if it's a Joe Flacco starting there for Cleveland. 3,600 Logan Thomas. I bet gets steamed if I had a guess. And that, friends, leads me to flipping the build conversation. And that is George Kittle. 6,200, there are some splits playing alongside Debo Samuel, and they have not necessarily mattered since coming off of the IR for uh, for one Debo here. Yeah, only 4.9 against Seattle, but that was a game script where, I mean, San Francisco was able to do whatever they wanted to against Seattle. You're going to see these muted games of five or six from George Kittle, but you're also going to run into 20 and 25, of which I don't think there's a ton of on this slate. You don't have Mark Andrews for the season, and you don't have Baltimore in this slate, period. But you also don't have, uh, you don't have, uh, why am I blanking? Travis Kelsey, uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend, isn't playing football here in this on this slate either. George Kittle at 6,200 might be my favorite tournament tight end. How do you feel about paying up here and flipping the build? 
I don't know. Like, so I agree with like Kittle is like the elite tight end. Everybody kind of forgets about in every format of fantasy football. Um, So I'm with you on that. Theoretically, a little tough for me to pay 6,200 on the slate, which might make him more of a tournament play. Um, Cause you are, like you mentioned, you're flipping the build with that. Uh, but if you are giving 6,200 a tight end, you're not getting a lot of the studs unless you're going real cheap at some other spots. But again, in a week where everybody's going to be going to 4,100, 4,900, 3,600, uh, if they're playing Durham Smythe at 2,500, uh, Kittle at 6,200 could actually give you a score that matters. And if those guys bust and Kittle puts up 30, you know, let alone 20, um, I think those are probably a good enough spots for him that he could actually win you a tournament. So I get the logic for it. Kittle in a high leverage spot. I personally think that IU gets going a little bit more here. Um, but I think they're all equally valid plays because uh, Philadelphia's defense is kind of weak everywhere across the board. There isn't like one spot you attack uh, to get results. I, the rest of the tight end board this week is just a little bit insane to me. Pat Fryermuth, 4,300 after being nearly the min for all season, it would seem. Yeah, he came off the IR, what, week 11. So he was out for seven weeks leading into that. And then 24, because 11 targets on nine catches. Wowzer, wowzer, wowzer. Ridiculous role for him at 4,300. Maybe he moves up the board against Arizona. I would I presume he, he would, although Arizona... They've been the best team in the league against tight ends, basically scheming against tight ends all season long. I don't know. I kind of don't give a shit. Give me, give me Pat Fryermuth at this kind of ownership, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he gets steamed up. I think people see that box yeah. score and think it's because of the offensive coordinator slash play caller changes. Both of them happen. Um, so I think people will chase Fryermuth. If I had to guess, I think he gets closer to the Njoku McBride Rachel when we actually flip the cards. But projection-wise, I don't think he'll grade out that way. So if I had to guess... I think the Sims and the ownership projections won't push you towards Furmuth, but I think casual players will go, oh, this is a new meta. Like he's the guy and they might be right. I think they're probably wrong, but I think Furmuth at 4,300 gets chased up would be my guess. Yeah. I appreciate Charles Moran also getting every single stream elements uh, over the course. I didn't see that he just went on a, a stream elements run there in YouTube chat. Always appreciate that. What would Sean V do? Sean V would probably, I don't know. I, I bet Sean V doesn't even play DFS, so it is what it is. Apparently, apparently he's in Toluca, though, so got to be careful. Got to be careful what I say and what I do. Anywho, any tight ends that you've got your eye on? Because I, I think for me this week, I'll be throwing some darts at the dartboard and scattershotting around everything here. I don't think anybody is just like a standout play. Obviously, George Kittle I'm I'm pulling because I want to target Philadelphia not even necessarily with Brock Purdy because of his ownership, but uh, what are you planning to do here at tight end? Anybody you want to be rostering above the field? Uh, I think I talked about Dalton Schultz a little bit ago. Yeah. I think he stands out to me as like similar kind of thesis of Kittle. We're getting a little bit away from the price point and a guy that has some upside and you're also getting leverage against the Texan stack that I think will be decently owned. So I like Schultz, you know, Laporta, we know the upside is always there. The matchup is kind of whatever, but 5% ownership for Laporta. We know he's got 20 fantasy point upside. So he could be another guy uh, that wins the week at a slightly different price point. Um, but I think these are the guys that are it. It's a, it's not a great tight end week where I think in Joku's the chalk just out of the sheer inertia of the last few weeks at an okay price point. You could really play any of these guys, and I think you're not going to find a ton of ownership. I think it'll be pretty spread out. Besides Fremuth, who I think gets closer to 7 to 15. But Fremuth, yeah, definitely going to be. And uh, I was hoping Dallas Goddard might be a thing at 4,800. Alas, didn't practice Wednesday. Doesn't sound like he's going to be playing football. That is a bummer for me and for my best, best ball teams. That is for sure the pride of South Dakota State. Dallas freaking Goddard. Smash the like button, everybody. We're about to get out of here in two seconds. But first... We got to talk our top stacks here. We're going to pull up the top stacks tool with the help of one Jordan Klein here. And we're going to finish out this program like we always do. That is 
by giving you our favorite popular stack and our favorite under-owned stack, giving you a little bit of reasoning and logic, something that Puppet Lindquist doesn't always have, but I know Chris Spaggs does every single time. My friend, who are you looking at here in terms of popular stacks? We've got Miami, 24.3%, hard to get away from, in my opinion. Philadelphia, Houston, who I'm in love with, and the Chargers sitting there at 8.2%. Any of these tickle your fancy? Um, I would say Houston is definitely going to be one of my favorites. I, I mean, I like Miami as well. At least the theory of Miami, the price point a little bit tough for Tua. And Tua doesn't run, and we haven't seen the explosive ceiling, but I would say uh, he would be right there. I would say for my wild card one, I think Pittsburgh is kind of an interesting concept to go to just because of the match against Arizona. And if people are wrong about it being a free remove offense, then you're going to get some leverage by going to an actual picket stack with maybe one of the running backs or just Johnson and Pickens. So um, I think for me, it would be Miami, Houston, Pittsburgh. And that's a, it's a broad spectrum of stacks, but I think that's the, <laughs> the what I would say jump out for different reasons. Yeah, I... San Francisco with just a 5.3% top stack percentage. It sounds incorrect to me, but I think it makes sense when you think about how expensive a lot of those pass catchers are, what McCaffrey can do to, to not, the word isn't vulture because Christian McCaffrey should be getting the, uh, the football in those kind of spots. And it's just that so much of the output uh, from a touchdown perspective goes through him and he's nine freaking K. So he's going to be popular as a piece there. So I'm probably not going to go to him. I'm just going to go right back to running it with Gardner Minshew. You talked about having ND exposure there, 5.3%. I don't really think that that's uh, all that difficult to get to. And I keep going back to this Alec Pierce 3,300 thing. There's a part of me that thinks that uh, he's going to go very, very, very overlooked on this slate. He should probably based on what he's done all season long. But if Pittman downs, if everybody's going to get targeted there, Alec Pierce, there's going to be a big play eventually for him. He has zero touchdowns on the season. All it takes is that one big play, and he's going to be that guy. Multiple games this season, I guess, 38, 38-yard uh, catch there in week four against the Rams. Yeah, had a couple of deep targets there against Cleveland and New Orleans. Had one that he just missed there. Those box scores could look very different to people in a 3,300 against this Tennessee secondary as dogs. Give me Indy in this spot, my friend, Chris Spaggs. This was so fun today, my friend. Any final words for the people? Give give them all of the socials and all of the things so that they can find you and they can watch you and enjoy you the same way I do. Yeah, so uh, go check me out on Splash Play right after this. Gonna be doing a showdown video where I do basically hand build the lineup, look at the stochastic data, look at the Sims, and just run through the process of what actually building lineups looks like. So that'll be coming up right after the stream. So at Splash Play Pod on YouTube or just search Splash Play, and you'll find me there in a mere moment. Um, besides that, follow me at Chris Spags and check out my app, probably app. We're not not promoting it too much here because I don't know if we're okay with that yet. But <laughs> it is my startup here that has betting data using market data as opposed to the ROI uh, projection based data that is the odd shopper thing. So I think there are tools that go hand in hand uh, but that'd be my big push check it out probably and i'm doing content for it but you'll see me around here i'll be back tomorrow with greg so i get the full experience i get you one day get greg the other day i feel like i'm living the dream here of the stochastic streams yeah just a rotating never-ending assembly line oh, we're not gonna go there actually because i'm gonna i'm gonna be a nice kid in vegas i'm gonna be so orderly and gentlemanly and all of those things it'll be enjoyable gonna go watch some footballs quack quack go ducks good stuff but spags thank you so much for joining Quack, 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 quack. Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. Oh, fuck look me. At, look, at right. my, look at my crotch. Taco Tuesday. There you go. Jordan Klein, thank you. Let's get the heck up out of here. Time to leave. Turn the camera off. Turn them off. <laughs> <laughs>